This is the Blatcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. In the moment I first saw you, I could swear that we had met. The look in your eye was so familiar. Where and when, I forget. Whispered your name in introduction. Darling, my heart filled the Was you come back in my life? So we meet again, my long lost friend. Once again, we get to start anew, and it feels like a thousand years. I've been loving you, girl. Have you been waiting here for someone else? Or searching the world for? Kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast. As always, I am Christian Blatt, and I'm so happy that joining me now, actor, comedian, writer, musician, Tommy Davidson, the last of those hyphenates we'll uh, spend some time talking about today, thetommydavidson.com. That's your spot for everything. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Tommy. I'm here. I'm loving it. Just another opportunity to live the life of an entertainer. I always exactly. wanted it. Here it is, you know. <laughs> well, uh, I can't wait to uh, talk to you ab- about uh, the music. But uh, before we jump into that, I wanted to talk about just sort of reading through your bio, uh, just talking about how, you know, you moved around a little bit. You were uh, abandoned at the age of 18 months and you were adopted by a, a white couple. And you moved around a little and then you moved right into Washington, D.C. Uh, yes. in 1968 during the time of the riots sparked by the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Stuff, right? So mm-hmm. what? Yeah. So that's a big that's a mm-hmm. that's a big way to all of a sudden learn about race for the first time, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was one hell of an introduction, man. You know, I didn't know I was black. Right. Or what you call black. Right. You know? No, no. But I mean, that's what. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 you had white parents and uh, you, you learn pretty quickly. Talk yeah. about uh, you. So your actual comedy career does start in the D.C. area, right? Before you yeah. uh, move out. So talk a little bit about what that was like. I mean, I, I interned in Washington, D.C. one summer. It was in the late 90s. And uh, what I learned then was that uh, the, the town kind of shut down during the week a lot earlier than I was used to growing up in New York. But uh, talk about getting started in comedy and some of the people out there who maybe you cross paths with. Well, it started um, from the first time I did an open mic. Now, I wasn't I was challenged to do comedy at a strip club that a friend of mine worked at. So I wasn't in the market to be a stand up comic. But he thought I was funny. He set it up. I finally went. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I don't care what you do, just say something in the mic. And it worked from the very start. It was like it was already there, you know? So I went from there to the fastest rise you can imagine. It was only a year after that, I was in Hollywood. Oh, wow. And that started by doing open mics because what I did was I did that show for a while 
And then I started doing contests. And finally, somebody said, you got to go to a comedy club. I finally went, went to Garvin's in Washington, D.C., famous Garvin's. And I go to do open mic. And that's the night I met Dave Chappelle and Martin. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you open mic too. Right. Exactly. And uh, mm-hmm. when you, uh, when you moved to LA, you end up uh, living in the same building as Martin. I didn't realize that uh, you'd known him before oh, that. Was before that. Yeah. So getting to, so knowing Martin and I know that uh, just reading in the notes, I know that uh, you're still close with Martin. You guys still do shows sometimes. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's gotta be great to have somebody like that, you know, sort of, going through it with you, you know, sort of, uh, on, on the way up. And at what point does in living color come on your, uh, radar? Obviously you're, you're doing standup. Had you yeah. done much acting or, uh, anything on television before that? Hadn't done any of that. And it was just like stand up. you know, once the camera came on, well, not the first time, <laughs> the right. camera came on. but once I got in front of the camera in general, the rest just started happening was already there. So it was, Three years after I hit the ground in LA, that In Living Color happened. Wow. It was a very, very involved, long, hard three years, man. Not like I was talking about something else, but it was, it was just, it was like, it was like everything came down to In Living Color. It, my whole life led to that show. Right. That's the, that's the reason why I called why I called my book, you know, Living in Color, because it was so coincidental that I had this this identity crisis as a kid, and I end up on this show called In Living Color. Yeah, and uh, obviously, I I remember I was in like junior high when that premiered, and I remember what a big deal that that show was. And just to think about the cast, you know, I don't want to sell anybody short, but. It's it's you, Damon Wayans, other Wayans, David mm-hmm. Allen Greer, and of course Jamie Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and just have them all on one show. It's one of those. You know, it's like when the first time when I saw a cast photo, the original uh, SNL cast. I'm like, oh, everybody from my favorite movies used to be on a show together. Okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's uh, that had to be a, a great experience in that sense. And I know that, uh, you know, just reading that uh, you had already done a lot of uh, impressions, but that uh, apparently at one point you didn't actually know what they were. You just kind of did voices in your act, right? Yeah. yeah. So it was easy. It, you know, it was easy in that sense because once I found out that I can just do singers and stuff that I already knew, uh, I started flying through stand-up because I did that anyway. You know, I, I do Al Jarreau at home when I was a little kid. My mother would say, shut that up. <laughs> and, and just to interject for a moment, you know, Al Jarreau, there, there might not be a lot of call for that voice right now. But I just read over the weekend that Moonlighting is going to be uh, streaming for the first time. Uh, it'll be on Hulu. So uh, Al Jarreau is going to be back in people's lives. So. Come fly by night. <laughs> Who won't fly by day? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, I I wasn't gonna ask you to do that, but I'm so glad you did. Thank you. <laughs> I got so, McDonald's commercials. Is, is my favorite. So I've got a taste for McDonald's right on the tip of my tongue. I'm a I've got a taste for McDonald's. I've got to have me some. Ooh, give me McDLT. Oh, I love to taste it. Love some golden fries. Love an ice cream sundae. Nothing else can satisfy. I've got a tease. For the please. 
Well, for our uh, our audio audience, uh, I, I'm going to play some of your music, which we'll talk about in a moment. But now I got to I got to sneak that Algerro McDonald's commercial into the audio version. You don't want to share anything on YouTube. Uh, they they are very watchful there. But you know, you just gave a perfect example of how music was a part of your act. So, at yeah. what point do you get the idea of like, well, maybe I'll just do music, you know, for for serious, for lack of a better word, you know, to just actually just do it straight, not for comedy. It it is um it's fulfilling. It's what I did first. It's my first love in the entertainment scene. And I wanted to be a big music star when I grow up. I wanted to be a big singer, you know, and, and that's where my 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 stars were sparkling. That's what I wanted. Now I'd already taken Academy Awards in my backyard and a little, there was a little stage in my backyard. So I'd already I already lived my my actor's life as a kid, you know. I knew I knew who I was. I, uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine and 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 uh, I did this all my 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 heroes, you know. But it was music. It was music, and I did say Ernest Borgnine, by the way. He was in Willow. Yeah. He was in you know you know uh, 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 Poseidon Adventure. I mean, I I know you know. I I was taking my my Oscar. I mean, I was taking my Oscar when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I can tell you, Papillon, uh, Steve McQueen won for Papillon. I mean, I can tell you, that. Uh, uh, the, the, the Planet of the Apes was, the, and um, um, 2001 were the first movies that I saw in a drive-thru. So, I mean. Oh, wow. Yeah. that's. Uh... I was ready for all of that, but it was music. Yeah. That always, you know, you know, that was it. Well, let's uh, take a moment and talk about uh, each of the songs that I assume are available wherever you find music, but the Tommy that's the spot to go to uh, find it. Uh, so you have a song called uh, sweet reunion, which that features uh, Dave cause who uh, I, I remembered a couple things about him and I, I double checked to make sure I was right. He's sort of like on both ends of the late night talk show spectrum for the eighties, you know, because he was a, a, you know, somewhat recurring on the coolest show in the 80s, which was Arsenio, and then was in the house band for a much less cool show, the Pat Sajak show. But right. he's had right. a much huger career beyond that. But I just thought that was like, what an interesting footnote to be in the house band for the Pat Sajak show, you know? Right, 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 right. Or to not mention. But anyway. Um... <laughs> yeah, well, if I was talking to him, I'd kind of feel it out, you know? I, I, would, I would first mention Richard Marks because, you know, he was a he was a huge, you know, multi-platinum seller. But, you know, if, if he was like, yeah, I don't really care much about late night TV, I'm like, all right, duly noted. But obviously he's got so much more on top of that, you know? Uh, yeah, so yeah. He, talk about he, how you got the idea of, like, collaborating with him on the song Sweet Reunion. I, I um... I came in contact with Dave because I was hired on his uh, uh, cruise, the Dave Cos cruise. And I was hired as a comedian. Uh, I hadn't met him. When I did meet him, I, I was always a big fan of his. I did a saxophone riff from one of his, one of my favorite saxophone riffs, riffs from his, one of his songs that I loved. And he stood there and he was mesmerized. He said, that's exactly what I did <laughs> in the song. He said, you got some musical stuff going. He didn't know how, how deep I went with that, but he also aided in me going forward. I did that cruise and he watched me and he says, man, I really think you should look into this music thing. And I did. I found one of my, I, I, I took one of my favorite songs that I've been wanting to make into a, to, to my own version since it was out in the 80s. 
And it happened to be a song by Kenny Loggins, which was one of my favorites, Sweet Reunion. And once I was done the track, I called Dave and I said, hey, um, would you listen to this track for me? I really would like you to, um, to do it, you know, to let me feature you on this. And he called me right back and said, I'm in. I love it. We went in the studio. He drove all the way across town. Uh, he's got one of these fangled electric cars. Saves him <laughs> a lot of money. Saves him yeah. a lot of money. And that's kind of a Hebrew trade, like to save money. So so he 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 said yes, yes, yes. And that's where it started. Because I had always been musically inclined to the to the T. My ears, um, the best compliment I ever got was from Larry Dunn of Earth Wind and Fire. He calls me elephant ears. He says the stuff that you can hear, you know, and the friends of mine in the business, Stevie Wonder, Luther Vandross, Patti LaBelle, uh, it just, it just, Lou Rawls, God bless him, Al Jarreau, just all of the people that have influenced me over the years are in me. And it started there and it fit, it was appropriate. My mom was white um, and I'm not. <laughs> and Sweet Reunion to me was my mom coming back into my life through my new daughter, Chiana. So it all of a sudden had this purpose too. So the song was perfect. I love Kenny to death and it all worked out. And it's all because uh, Dave Koss said yes and it legitimized me. Well, I think that, uh, you know, Kenny Loggins, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people will think of the the big movie soundtrack songs that, you know, huge songs for him. But uh, right. has, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Danger Zone, you know, there's so many. But uh, in, in addition to those, he's, he's got he's got beautiful songs like the one you're talking about. And uh, when uh, my wife and I got married, her uh, first dance, you know, the father daughter dance song was a song he has called celebrate me home, which I had to admit oh, I've I heard that song. It's a beautiful song. And I was like, Oh, I thought the, you know, your mama don't dance and uh, danger zone. Right, you know? right. But uh, yeah, no, he's great. And what a, what a great choice. Uh, before we run out of time, I want to talk about uh, the other songs. Let's talk about kid zero. Uh, you have a couple of collaborators on that, uh, and I'm going to do my best to say Chieli Minucci's name, and I hope okay. I'm right. But yeah. uh, Chieli has worked with, I saw the list, and it was like Mark Anthony to the Backstreet Boys, to Roberta Flack, to Jewel, to Jayla, to Jessica Simpson. So it's like everybody. And uh, I was like, man, the uh, what, why there's no book about uh, those stories. Maybe that's why they get to keep working with everybody, because they don't write yeah. a book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I got lucky again, or fortunate. Kelly is one of my favorite guitarists, and I don't know him, um, but he's got a couple of songs that are near and so dear to me. So when I came across Kid Zero, um, I wanted to do this song with a guitarist and a bassist, of course. Harvey Mason wrote the song. And I called him, and he said, yes. He said, I'd love to. And I, I, I Matched him, I paired him with Julian Vaughn, who's one of our, uh, probably one of our uh, recent geniuses in music and, 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 and specifically smooth jazz. Kind of stepped in the, sh stepped in the shoes of, of Stanley Clark and other greats, Nathan Easton, and really enhanced it for today, you know? I think it was mostly uh, influenced by um, the basketball player. I forget his name, but it, Great hits, uh, NBA player, 
Olympic athlete gone, uh, Raymond Tinsdale. And, and, and he's a strong influence for Julian. And I got them together on Kid Zero. And guess what happened? It did really, really well. It got on watercolors, which is something I really wanted bad because I knew that that would open people's ears to me and they could really hear my stuff. And Kid Zero did really, really well for me in that sense. I won't forget I Know because I Know was before that. Yep. And I Know is the one that I did with Richard Elliott. Can't leave him out. Great uh, a player from way back, Tower Power. I mean, just been around. It was the same story. He said he met me at a Cuban restaurant. I was nice to him. So I said, well, if he thinks that, maybe he'll do my song. I called him. He said, I'll do it. And he was the difference in the whole song. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, obviously so much of it can be stuff like, you know, those moments of, uh, oh, I, this is, uh, you know, I knew this person, I reached out to them. But yeah, sometimes you just run into somebody and uh, it, it turns into a, a great collaboration. So looking forward, uh, obviously there's uh, still uh, no shortage of uh, comedy shows, but uh, are you looking at uh, doing actual a, a tour or maybe some shows here and there of uh, just music or maybe a hybrid of both or uh, is it all still in the works? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to harvest a seed like it's, like it's harvest did. I'm, I'm going to just plant this music, you know, and nurture it, give it sunlight, water, all the things you need, pull the weeds out until it grows, you know, and, it, and once it grows, then I'll go out there and start to perform it. In the meantime, I'm going to be putting all the love into the seed, yeah. which is you know, putting all the all the best music that I can out there in volumes. So this is is my first album, and more to come. But we're going one song at a time, and doing the work that it takes to be a live performer. I got the first part, which is yeah. just being a live performer. But now taking that and blending that with the performer in comedy with a performer in music. And what there is, is, is there's a unique dialogue that's gonna take place in my show that you couldn't get from other musicians or you couldn't get from other comedians. It's just my turn to do what I do. I don't know what that is yet, but it's gonna be good. <laughs> It's going to be good. That's that's really the key. Well, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to give you a moment to uh, take a second to talk about uh, some of the work that you and your wife do as part of your apparel company, uh, something uh, called Ties That Binds, where you provide business wear to uh, people that you know maybe don't have the, the formal outfit to go out on uh, job interviews. I thought it was a great idea, and I wanted to make sure we uh, were able to get that in at the end. Yeah, you know, that th that's something that we've been able to do. You go to sh sh shop. Uh, tongue in cheek and you get the whole picture you get the stuff that we've been able to do the apparel it's only 10 to 20 dollars we, we i always if i uh, if i go into retail i always wanted to have affordable stuff but with the quality i sound like a salesman now but it's true <laughs> <laughs> you know so we got some beautiful stuff and it's 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 really um one of those things that I'm so grateful for because here's another one. The list is the top cartoon in the world on Disney Plus was the Proud Family. Then the next one is the music. Then the next one is, you know, 
my television work and more to come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the Tommy Davidson, that again, that uh, the Tommy Davidson.com. Obviously you are the Tommy Davidson, but I'm plugging the website, the Tommy Davidson.com. That's where you find uh, links to the songs that we talked about and uh, everything else. Tommy, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I enjoyed listening to the music and uh, it was great to get the chance to talk to you today. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me too, man. Spread the gospel. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be spreading it. And as I said, the audio audience is going to get to hear a little bit uh, on the way out and an Al Jarod McDonald's commercial. I think you're going to. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Get that out there for me. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks Appreciate again, Tommy. It. All right. Have a good day. Bye. You too. I know the fool that I have been before. Missed in life while living life away, just a fool with no how to. But now I know, I know that you're the one for me. You stole my heart, you set me free to live a life I knew. I found the one I'm looking for to take me through love's open door of life of love of unseen sights to live a love I know is right. Thick and thin, I'll surely stay forever and a day. Cause with your love, I'm gonna be Special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. To all George Lynch, 
his band Lynch Mob. They have a new album called Babylon. It'll be available October 20th. George, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. It's good to talk to you as well and get an opportunity to people know what we're up to these days yeah absolutely and uh, for our visual audience uh you're getting a little bit of a treat because uh we are literally riding shotgun with george as he's driving through parts unknown as we like to say you know even yeah, even if like they that, are dude. known it, it it sounds more mysterious <laughs> if you're just on some desert highway outside of joshua tree or something you know i wish uh, i'm in the traffic on a freeway in los angeles but Oh, well, you can romanticize it if you want. But it's kind of like getting coffee with cars with comedians, that show. It's, uh, it, it, it's, a band. Yeah, it's a dri- driving in vans with rock stars, which now that I say it out loud, that <laughs> actually sounds super creepy. So maybe we won't call it that. Yeah, actually, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, we get in trouble for that. So, yeah, let's yeah. Do that. it's a very different story, I guess. So I'm glad to uh, get a chance to talk to you. I, I thought I was going to get a chance to talk to you a couple of years ago. Uh, I talked to both uh, Jeff Pilson and Robert Mason for that second End Machine album. It didn't uh, work out, you know, and any of that. So even though it's two years late, I wanted to mention, I actually really liked that album. I liked the first one. And then I, I was a big fan of that album. Uh, and uh, I know that uh, there's more End Machine planned, uh, Robert uh, focusing back on Warren. But that album in that moment in time, I was a big fan of it. So I wanted to... Uh, to thank you for it, basically. You're going to end up hating that album soon when you hear the third. Oh, that's what I like. All right. Really, you're literally going to just use it as a frisbee, or you know, you're going to chuck it out your back window because it's this new one is so good. It's crazy. I mean, we all think our newest records are the greatest records since the invention of music, but. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, look, if you follow the progression, you know, Led Zeppelin one was pretty good. But then when you got Led Zeppelin two, it's like, all right, I'm tossing the second one and then three and four, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's just what have you done for me lately? So, Give me the new stuff, George. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I don't want to get caught in that trap that you're trying to lead me into the to a claim that our record is as good as Led Zeppelin's. Wait, yeah, it's at least it's at least on par with Coda, you know, the extra record that they released after they had broken up, you know, just the, the leftover. Hey, I'll anyway. be, I would happy to be the, the worst, uh, on yeah. par with the worst Led Zeppelin record that be good company to keep. Yeah, it's a great point. It's like if somebody if somebody tells you that uh, uh, you know the the one with emotional rescue was the worst Stones album, I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's still great, you know. So it's uh, yeah. There's 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 you there's some of those catalogs where you're up. like, yeah, like a like a bad Aerosmith album. Well, at least before the year 2000 is like right, it's still got like some great songs on it. So, but we're talking about your new album, the Lynch Mob album, Babylon. And one of the things I like about it, I've heard two of the songs. We'll talk about the two I've heard. Uh, they only sent me two, but there's 10 songs on it. And, you know, we're talking about we just mentioned the names of some classic albums. And as much as I love a 17, 18 track album, there is something where you feel like when the artist is like, Here's 10 songs. These are the best ones. Yeah, yeah. We've got 40 other ones, but, you know, you probably don't want to hear them. Let's let's just hear the best. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, putting together Babylon, the new Lynch Mob album. Yeah, there, well, there isn't 40 songs, and, and we don't do records like that anymore where we overwrite and, right, sure. and call out the best ones. That this is, We just write the ones we want to write, and that's it. But okay. the other thing is, you know, I, I just kind of wondered about that that slow creep, uh, mission creep of, you know, we went from nine, eight, nine, ten songs a record to, to like you said, 15 songs on an album. It's like, wait, I'm doing 50% more work for one-tenth of the money here. I, 
don't think this makes any sense. So uh, also, I think you value the music more when it's a little more rare, you know, when it's a little yeah. more precious because, you, you know, it's a limited commodity. Uh, spend a little more time with, with everything and uh, you know you're not so quick to dismiss something you might give it a chance because well this is this is all the real estate we got let's utilize it to our best abilities here and, and really give it uh, a fair listen and uh, I think that's working for us uh, and I personally for me from a, from a creative standpoint I really uh, it's much healthier for me at least uh, in my mind to be able to focus on a digestible amount of, of work and material rather than just oh we need 14 songs and let's just you know write like madmen and you know uh, maybe we'll let a few things go and well, this is filler and this is you know this, this is we're not this isn't our best track but hey we need 14 tracks so just throw that in there to to take up space you know and i i don't i don't like that either so and it's hard to come up with 14 inspired songs you know yeah. and uh so 10 is a nice number it's what i grew up with you know albums were God, I've you know I'd cream out six songs on the album. Of course, one of them would be eleven minutes, you know, the whole side of the record. And records were limited to whatever they were limited to thirty minutes or something. Both side, it's a different. Or world yeah, now, there's but... a, there, or there's Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick, which the whole song is basically the whole album. I think you know, so you know, you always you oh, always geez. get those exceptions. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love uh, uh, stoner music because essentially when I was a kid, basically that's what we were. We didn't call it that. We didn't know that's what right. we were, but that's what we were. But there's this band, I think they're called Sleep, or maybe that's the name of the song. But anyways, it's, a, I think, something like an hour and 17 minutes. Oh, wow. But Dirge, Stoner, hour and 17 minutes. So extremely monotonous down to insane riff over and over. It's really cool. It's funny to listen to. I think putting it on just to piss people off. Yeah. Um, you know, Wait, we use that. We use that to uh, use that as our, our as our opening song before we play it live to kind of get people warmed up. You you wanted them to get warmed up with the uh, with sleep. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. that sounds pretty cool. Because because everything after sleep is kind of more exciting. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a great point. Relatively. Yeah. Yeah. No, you think about it, yeah, like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rock and metal bands will, you know, use some like overture of classical music before they get started. And then, you know, and then they basically try to blow the roof off. So there is there is something to be said for that. You're sort of talking about, you know, being younger and some of the music you listen to. Obviously, you've been playing professionally for so long and been in the public eye for so much of that time. But when you first started playing guitar, was there oh, I heard this song or I saw this guy or something and I'm like, oh, I, I want to do that. Or was it just you were handed a guitar and was like, okay, you figure it out. What was what was the process for you first really starting to play, even even if it's just goofing around as a kid before you got like serious about it? Uh, well, there was a couple different stages of, uh, of uh, you know, the process of, of committing myself to, to being a guitar player. Uh, initially, it was just kind of a casual well i don't know if casual is the right word but uh an interest in the instrument itself sure. and uh then uh that led me to to listening to music and then and that coincided with the emergence of rock and roll because this is mid-60s so all those things kind of colluded to uh you know garner my interest where i i i you know the beatles 
came out, you know, <laughs> identified with George because we had the same name. And that led to, you know, soon after that was, you know, uh, the British invasion and the four horsemen, you know, Beck, Clapton, Page and, and, and Hendrix. And, you know, I was very fortunate to be raised around that time. But, uh, you know, uh, in the preteen years, I was, uh, uh, you know, just getting my chops up. And I had my initial interest was really, uh, uh, really more around flamenco music and, and jazz music. Not that I could really play it well, but that's what I was listening to because it's my father listened to and, and introduced me to. And he was sort of an, uh, a fledgling audiophile and a musicologist, a amateur musicologist in some ways. And he listened to deep music, you know, and Coltrane and Miles Davis and, uh, you know, just beautiful classical flamenco guitar music and everything. And so the first song I ever learned was Malaguena. And then, you know, I went from that to uh, getting an electric guitar. And that, that took a while, you know, to kind of ramp up, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. And, and then, uh, but there was a point where you know, I was maybe 14, getting on going on 15, where it was just like, yeah, now I really felt like now I'm, you know, I, I started developing a style and I was concerned about tone and, you know, I, I was kind of putting this, putting it together and started getting my little garage bands together, everything like that. Yeah, it was a very, very exciting time. And then I don't think I ever played as purely and honestly as I did then, you know, and as emotionally right. from the heart. You know. Right. Especially, you know, if you're just, you know, in the garage playing with your friends, it's different than if you're up on stage trying to, you know, put on an actual show instead of like, oh, let's just uh, see where this goes. Uh, speaking of shows, what I'm curious about, do you remember what was the, the first live like rock band you saw, whether you bought a ticket for it or if it was, you know, you, you or maybe maybe you jumped a fence. I mean, you know, who knows? You know, it could have been could have been like an, an Altamont deal. Yeah. Yeah, you're able to do that in those days. Uh, uh, well, I mean, the, the first rock bands I saw were local bands that were pretty pro local bands that would play at our school you know that kind of thing and that was mind-blowing you know and uh you know uh because i'd never really witnessed anything like that you know and the power of it and uh, uh, and uh, the potential of what seeing what you could do with, with guitar you know probably in re maybe in retrospect if i would go back and listen and look at what i witnessed back then it wouldn't uh, uh, as impressive I'd be like yeah wasn't that great but I don't know you know but uh, at the time you know I was just coming from a, a, a place of ignorance and not being exposed to that kind of stuff and then my first uh, big concert was uh, I would say it was either Queen and Mahogany Rush uh, uh, I mean no no I don't think it was Jeez, I don't remember what it was. I did remember seeing uh, ZZ Top, Tres Ombres Tour, but that was that was a little later. So that, that was like early. Well, 70s. I mean, any of those being, you know, early shows to go to. I mean, getting to see Freddie Mercury or seeing the guys in ZZ Top. I mean, that's definitely, you know, it's not a bombastic, you know, explosion stage show. But at the same time, it's like you talk about just watching masters i guess not to not to sound cheesy about it but people who are actually masters in their craft like freddie mercury obviously everybody in the band everybody in easy top uh yeah those are those are uh two uh you know two great ones to kind of take in and uh go oh okay that's 
that's how it's done. You know, for, I mean, I've only ever seen video of Freddie Mercury and uh, just the, you know, whether it's a, you know, a modest venue or Wembley stadium, just having, you know, what 80,000 people eating out of his hand, you know, it's a, it's, it's a fun thing to watch for sure. You know, greatest band in the history of rock and roll. I mean, they just, they were just unbelievably phenomenal and, and firing on all cylinders, you know, and they had the image and they had the songs and impeccable musicians and they all were unique. And Brian May is one of my huge hero guitar heroes and, and uh, just the whole thing. I mean, they were real rock stars. You don't get that anymore, but I had, I'd seen other concerts before that. The most important concert I'd ever seen was Hendrix. I thought sure. as oh, far wow. as guitar inspiration. And that was at the forum. And, uh, and I actually got to meet him because he was at a music store that I would go to and hang out all the time. And I have a picture of with me with him when I was young. Oh, and, wow. um, and that was, uh, something I'll carry with me, you know, for the rest of my yeah. life. And I, I always, I always like to age use, myself use, towards that experience. Oh, that's all right. I always like to use the example. I, I, I tell this anecdote, uh, somewhat, somewhat regularly to musicians because it, it's so funny to me to think of when I first heard of it, when my mom was in junior high, uh, growing up in New Jersey in the late 60s, she and her girlfriends went to go and see their favorite band, The Monkees, and they hated the guy who opened the show, who was Jimi Hendrix. They're like, he was playing guitar with his feet. And, you know, uh, obviously the you know, 12, 13 year old girls maybe weren't ready for it. But it's so funny to think about uh, the idea of getting to witness that and just go, no, where's Daydream Believer? Come on. Which is a great song, by the way. I'm not even I'm not I'm not shitting on Daydream Believer, but, you know, it's well, a, it's an interesting band. That was a that was a great album. That Monkeys album was fantastic. Yeah. I loved it. That was about the same time. Yeah, uh, and I had that record too, and I loved it uh, for different reasons, you know. But yeah, but no, I yeah, think I, I think for all the yeah, for all the, the teenage girls who were put off by it, there were probably a lot of people who were like, "Oh yeah, the Monkeys are pretty cool." Like, well, this guy's this guy's next level, you know. I mean, it's it, it's you know some some bands usually do a pretty good job of uh, bringing out the stuff they like. Like Van Halen always had like the yeah like pool in the gang or some of the most random openers that you could ever see but it was like well you know Pearl Jam does that too even to this day but anyway um, I did want to talk there's to you a, more there's Go a ahead. headline from uh, that that concert is uh, from the, the day after Hendrix opened for the monkeys in some city a local paper but headline is something to the effect of uh, uh, a scary black man uh, you know gyrates and, and sets guitar on fire uh, to the horror of whatever. Yeah. You know, which, <laughs> which that's one of those great headlines where you're like, well, well, where do I sign up to see that? You know, better sales pitch in, in the history of, of music. That was fantastic. Yeah. It's like, I mean, uh, I, you know, Alice Cooper talks about how Frank Zappa saw the earliest, <clears throat> the earliest iteration of his band and, you know, they weren't uh, up first. And uh, as they played, a reasonably full concert hall uh, emptied out entirely. And Zappa was like, we got to figure out how to turn that into something. You know, the, you can have that kind of reaction where people are so put off by you that they're going to leave, you know, and uh, I guess Zappa probably knew something about that. Anyway, um, I do want to talk to you about your album. I know that uh, you're, you're out on the road uh, driving around. Um, so uh, Babylon, uh, I've heard two songs from it time after time is one of them and caught up as the other. Our audio audience will get to hear a little bit of that. Uh, well, but uh, boy, I, don't, I, 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 uh, I've made the mistake of trying to play music while we're uh, live on YouTube. And uh, those, those videos usually come down right away. So, uh, but uh, the audio versions are a little bit more forgiving. 
Uh, so the album, as we said, Babylon will be out October 20th. And it's for Frontiers, which for our audience is this Italian label. And odds are that if some of your favorite artists and bands from like the 80s and 90s have put out albums in the last decade, probably at least one of them or two of them were on Frontiers. Uh, now, I don't know if you've collaborated with them before, but kind of talk about getting this opportunity to do this eighth Lynch Bob record with Frontiers. Well, um, you know, uh, the, the, you know, there's two sides to everything that, that we do as musicians. There's the creative side, the music side and, the, you know, whatever. And then there's the business of music. And on, the, and on that side, you know, that's not something I really talk too much about. But for me, it's interesting because I, I'm as interested in the, in the business part of, of, of life as I am with the with the creative side, you know. And, and so uh, there was a. Uh, 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 a uh, there was a reason why I went with Frontiers. I have a long history with Frontiers. I've done lots of records with Frontiers, and there's probably only three or four al uh, labels in the world that that really cater to our genre uh, of music. Uh, from you know uh, whatever you call it, you know this kind of. Uh, I mean, we're not eighty eighties nineties hard rock. You know, I mean, there's 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 things that people call it. There's things that people call it to be dismissive, but. Uh, you know, it's it's basically you know hard rock from the the eighties and nineties. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's all rock and roll. You know, all the bands that we talked about. It's it's not like it's different than uh, you know than putting on Queen or Zeppelin or even the Monkees. But I don't know. People do tend to like to you know narrow the niche a little bit, and uh, well, it has to be that's this kind. Yeah, that's what humans do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. got to categorize everything. But uh, but you know, so that's our you know, that's a label that we're very familiar with. And, and um, uh, but, but uh, in recent years or even decades, uh, I think uh, all the Lynch Mob releases have been with Rat Pack records. But uh, this one time we went with Frontiers because Frontiers agreed to also uh, pick up another album that I've been working uh, on uh, for uh, over 10 years. It was called The Banishment. It was sort of an industrial-esque project that I was doing with this programmer, uh, master mixer engineer guy named uh, Joe Hayes, who was my partner. And we were very proud of the record. It's a very deep record, and I love it. And, of course, it's not what people want to hear from me, and it failed. But uh, they did release the record, so at least we got it out there, and that's the reason I went with Frontiers. Um but I have an extremely long history with them. You know, it's not like they were a, 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 a gamble or anything like that. Um, they service that market very, uh, very well, and they know their, they know their, uh, their base, and they know what they like. And uh, you know, they don't like anything that's experimental or uh, off-brand. Uh, yeah. And that's what was a little strange to me. On, just on the business side is they picked up this record that's something that uh, I'm not known for and and, and people uh, uh, pretty much universally rejected but fortunately but uh, I'm not sure why they did that but uh, anyways that's that's the story behind that uh, uh, normally Lynch Mob is a is a <laughs> is a Rat Pack band right right and, and this well, record this Lynch Mob record is a little different than than the other Lynch Mob records is that we really sort of turned our back on trying to chase uh, Wicked Sensation or, or you know, think, think of it in as a, as a, a another point in the con 
line of continuum from 1989. It, it wasn't that. We just, you know, we've got Gabriel Cologne in the band now, and and uh, Sharon, and uh, and of course Jimmy, you know, who I, him and I played together for many many years, and uh, so it was really a new beginning. So we, we just said, well, listen, let's just let's not put on Wicked Sensation and try to write that again. Let's just that was what it was, and and, and it, you know things aren't ever going to align again in that way. Uh, and and we'll just be ourselves, and we were, and and this is the record that came out. In fact, when I listened to it, I thought oh, this sounds more like Guns and Roses than than Lynch Mob, which is not a bad thing, I guess. But uh, you know, it just kind of built the songwriting because I write, you know, the music, right? Uh, not the, not the lyrics, uh, uh, but the and or the melodies, but the music. And so I write the music thinking of the singer. You know, I've got the singer in mind, and then I'm I'm sing I'm, I'm sort of subconsciously writing for that singer. But I wasn't as familiar with Gabriel as I was with, you know, let's say Oni and other people I've worked with. So it was an unknown commodity. I wasn't really sure what the results were going to be. So when the dust had settled and we're finally kind of getting all the arrangements together and, and listening to the to the vocals that he that he had recorded, um, I was really, I didn't know what to make of it. And quite honestly, I still don't. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I, no. I just... It was unexpected, yeah. you know. I was really wow. This is this is not the record I thought we were going to make because of his voice, and it's his voice is amazing. I love his voice; it's unique. And I think that's the most important thing: is it is not being good or bad, but just being yourself and being, uh, you know, having something to offer that's unlike anything else in the world. So, and he has that; he has a style and a unique quality to his voice. Um, uh, we did have to work pretty hard to get to get the vocals right. He's a little inexperienced, so we had to really all work together, come together as a band, and contribute and work on getting the melodies and and the hooks and 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 the titles and things like that. They're important to us, and I think important to Lynch Mob fans. Uh, you know, to the point where we were were pretty well satisfied with the results. Um, and then when we listened to it, we we're like, "Wow, what? Is, I don't know what this is." But it's cool. So we started to, to experiment. We started adding because, you know, record's been done for a while. And we started uh, adding some of those songs to our live set because we play regularly. And uh, and my hist my experience with 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 playing new songs from any band, Dokken or anybody else to play with, is nobody wants to hear it, uh, even if it's already on a record and they're familiar with it. Well, in this case, the songs that we added were completely unfamiliar to anybody because there, there's no record. So right, they had right. no idea what they were listening to. And we had really, uh, and this, this shocked me, actually, we had a really phenomenal response, you know, um, uh, the first time we tried that. And I, and I thought, oh, that's just a, a, an anomaly, a, a, just a good crowd, it's a good night, maybe just whatever, throwing us a bone, whatever. And uh, we'll try it again tomorrow and see what happens. The same thing happened, and same thing's been happening ever since, you know, the last six months. So, uh that's a good sign. Yeah, that no, absolutely. organically and people responded to it organically without ever hearing it. Uh, I'm not saying this pat myself on the back or anything. I was just saying it was a kind of a surprising thing that happened, and I'm hoping that's an indication that the, that the record will be uh, uh, well received. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'll I'll go and see plenty of bands who I know have a, a new album, and a lot of times, you know, they might play one. Other times, you know, you can look up set lists online. You'll see the bands like, oh, they never play anything from the new album, and uh, mm. you know, I think I think you don't you don't want to do the 
you know, obviously a band like Iron Maiden, they're like, people are coming to see us no matter what. We're doing six songs from the new album and they'll just deal with it. But a lot of times, you know, one or two is probably about right. And you do the best to kind of sprinkle it into the the songs, you know, they came out for. But for to find to find <laughs> that it works, yeah, yeah, hide it. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, if if it's a new song that uh, that hasn't been released, that can be kind of cool to hear. But I do get that, like people are like, yeah, yeah, that's that's not really what it, what I'm here for. And uh, just to for our audience, you're talking about uh, Gabriel Colon is the singer on, uh, and I've again I've only heard the two songs, but uh, and I'd never heard him on anything before. I understand he's a uh, has a he's. A, He's Puerto Rican. And he's been with some bands uh, in the past, but I think he's great. And uh, getting to hear the uh, whole album, I think uh, I'm looking forward to get to hear it. So you were talking about how you've you've played some shows. I know that there's a uh, a record release party October 25th here in L.A. at the world famous uh, Whiskey A Go Go. So that should be fun. So if it's a record release party, people should expect to hear new songs. Right. I mean, it's like right there in the in the building that it's like, hey, this is for our new record. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're gonna add, we're gonna have a, a additional songs from the record uh, uh, in the set, and then we're also doing an unplug thing earlier in the day and something on the streets, some signing on on Sunset or, or whatever it is. So yeah, I mean, we're gonna spend the whole day up there doing whatever we can to kind of, you know, shake hands and kiss babies and and help uh, people become aware of uh, of this record. Yeah, uh, and and. And do interviews driving around in a van, you know, I mean, that, uh, that, that's always going to help, you know, uh, you know, I'm, uh, st I'm still that, I'm still that 20, 30 year old kid that, you know, will sleep on your couch and fucking go, you know, drag my ass around in a van and carry my own equipment to set up and play a show to a hundred people. You know, I mean, I, it, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's whether you're playing in, you know, <laughs> No matter what level you're playing on, it's really essentially the same thing, you know. At yeah, that moment, no, you know, no. it, yeah. I'm always, just, uh, I'm always interested in, uh, you know, a guy like Vivian Campbell, who's obviously been in Def Leppard for a long time, but he also has that band Last in Line, you know. So he could literally be playing for like twenty five thousand people, and two nights later, it's probably like a hundred, and he's probably carrying his his gear, and it's like he seems like one of those guys who's like, yeah, I mean, I'm playing, so you know, just the number of people watching isn't really what it's about so uh, i've literally you know, i've literally run into him doing exactly that i mean i know him and i'm sure sure and run into him many times but, but that the, there was one particular time i remember we were both staying at this same hotel and it was this sprawling kind of weird hotel somewhere i don't know midwest or something uh upper midwest and he was he was in these, these like quarter mile long hallways you know uh to get to the lobby and he was dragging all his luggage and it was falling over and he had to get down these stairs and everything. I was like, God damn, freaking Vivian Campbell, dude, you're playing Def Leppard. As you mentioned, you know, you don't need to be doing this, but he does it out of love. You know? Yeah, no, it. exactly. It, 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 it's, it's a, uh, it's very cool to see, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, that he, that but he I would say last in line, last in line is a tremendous band and, and, and they do, they do well. I mean, they're not, yeah. it's not like they're, you know, having to, Dri necessarily drive around in a in a beat up van pulling a tree no, like in their own gear i i do actually we we share their tech guy that 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 works for them and they've got a guy that basically uh i think i think he's based in florida but he he will uh he has all their equipment he has the truck and he just goes wherever he needs to go in the country 
he, he, he goes there. They travel with their own equipment, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he sets everything up and they just, you know, they fly in, they do the shows and he goes back home and they go back home. So they got, you know, and then they play decent venues and they, and they make okay money. I mean, it's not, of course it's not Def Leppard, no. but it's, it's still valid. It's not like they're, you know, out there, you know, booking yeah. shows and sleeping in their no. you know, fans' and, couches and, or anything. Yeah, and, and, pro, and pro I, I especially like the second and third Last in Line uh, albums. I think they're great. I didn't mean to shortchange it. It's more the idea that uh, you're in Def Leppard. You you know, you can take the rest of the year off. You know, what do they do? Like 50, 75 dates. So, you know, you don't have to do anything else. But he does that, which... You know, it's it, it's obviously that's not the paycheck gig and not that a Def Leppard is, you know, I'm talking myself into a corner, but, it, you know, it's it's cool when you see stuff like that, you know, and it's like I prefer when, last in line to Def Leppard. Well, last in line think, is, a, is a really, really good band. Yeah, a really good. band. it's like one of those bands that we play with that like King's Exit, if we play with them. You know, usually we think we can kick everybody's ass, but but <laughs> we're playing the last in line. They're going to hit a little harder. And no. uh, and King's X is gonna you, know, you can't beat King's X. I mean that's just how it is. No, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. I've 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 worked with uh, with enough uh, comedians in my life, and uh, you know, there's always those guys you don't want to follow. You know, there's there. It's like sometimes you want the ego. You're like you want to be the headliner, and then there's other times like yeah, I just want to get out before that guy goes on. You know, because you, you don't want to go on after. You don't want to go on after Norm Macdonald, right? That's uh, one of the guys that I know. <laughs> well, used to, yeah. No. I, I yeah, yeah, I worked with uh, I worked with Dennis Miller for a long time, and uh, he and Dana oh. Carvey would do shows together. And uh, mm. he's like, he's like, and they would switch. And he's like, yeah, when Carvey goes before me, it's like I'll bring it. I'll still make people up, but it's like I got to work a little harder, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, so it's it's basically one of those kind of things that I've uh, talked to people about. Well, George, I've enjoyed uh, chatting with you. The new album Babylon will be out October twentieth. Uh, as I mentioned, for people here in L.A., uh, the show at the Whiskey A Go-Go will be the record release party. And for more information on everything, that's October 25th, I meant to say that. Uh, George GeorgeLynch.com, George Lynch Official on Instagram. Facebook has Lynch Mob Band. But just go to GeorgeLynch.com and then you'll you'll everything will lead from there. Wait a minute, Facebook has Lynch Mob Band? Yeah, I, I saw it. I, 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 it was in the release from the uh, publicist. There's a, there's a Facebook that, and and they don't only promote uh, Lynch Bomb. They were also promoting an album. I think that you put out about a year ago, or sorry, about a month ago. Uh, so maybe that's a fan guitars, page, but, but I'm telling guitars you, that they, at the, guitars yeah. at the end of the world is, is yeah, that's the, the one. Yeah. Guitars at the end of the world is the instrumental record that I have out right now. Probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was on the list of uh, of plugs from the publicist. So apparently you're on Facebook. Uh, the band is anyway, even if you're not. But the the uh, Instagram huh. seems like it's you, you know, because uh, I, I, I looked at it and I saw a post. And, you know, I guess over the summer you had to miss a show and you talked about how you hate missing shows, but uh, you had like busted a rib or something. So it seemed like it was really you. So that's 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 your source for George Lynch is uh, George Lynch official on Instagram. Yeah, I've got I've got Instagram, Patreon. I'm not really I don't do Facebook site. So my my, my uh, I've got a person that handles that and runs that sure, for sure. me. But I have I couldn't log. I couldn't access facebook if you put a gun to my head i don't know what it how to do that Uh, (laughs) so so i appreciate the information i'll pass it along 
Yeah, absolutely. But uh, th- and that's uh, right. for everybody else to see. And as we've said a few times, Babylon, October 20th. Uh, can't wait to hear the whole album and uh, maybe even uh, pop in on that show at the Whiskey. I'd love to see you guys play some of the stuff live. Uh, George, yeah, thanks man, for if you're uh, in L.A. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in Burbank, so I'm in, I'm in, you know, in L.A. in the literal sense. You know, I could probably be to the Whiskey in about 90 minutes right now. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting in a I'm sitting on the side of a road uh, next to the Van Nuys Airport in North Hollywood. Oh. So I I should you know what George I should have just met you there at a folding table. This would have been easier. Yeah, but then the planes would have been landing and coming overhead, and we've been able to hear. That's a great it. point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, George, right. thanks again for taking the time. I really enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, looking you forward well. to to hearing the album and uh, checking out some of the stuff live. Thanks again, George Lynch. Okay. <laughs> Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on The Bladcast. Hello, I'm Conrad Bain. What's the matter, Senor Luigi? You look a little nervous. I'm very nervous. No invite. <laughs> Who are you, Christian Bland? We're Christian, you are, you're a talker. About, no, you're like the I worst broadcast ever. Well, this has been the Blackcast. You can find me at Christian DMZ. Jeff Duray, not on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I'm getting ready to break into a Slim Jim. Yeah. The Blackcast. So Thank you, Christian. How is it that Wendy is like so much so better at this than Stud Joe, Chad, and Kevin Brennan? Whoa! Oh, hacka hackas. As pissed off as Vinny is at you, yeah, you yeah, should yeah. be at Christian Blatt and Eric Zane. <laughs> this one came in from uh, my buddy Christian Blatt. The Blatt cast. Thank you for the 199, Christian. Uh, Cardiff, grab your guitar to play whole lot of Rosie. Mousies? The Blatt cast, 199. Who's had more hands up their bum, Chad or Tukey? <laughs> Chad. Thank you, Bladcast. Bladcast. The Bladcast is a hundred percent right. Uh the Bladfast. The Bladcast. The Bladcast.
One of the best podcasts you can ever see, the Black Cast. Whoop-dee-doo, we're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Black Cast. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500. Last time I checked. Totally forgot. I am doing the Black Cast tomorrow. Uh, the Black Cast, 499. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. <laughs> that was not my fault. He loves you all more than a friend. I love Tukey. <laughs> Yay! Hacka hacka! Along with David Gorn. I'm so excited! Let's see!